So over the the past few months, we've been looking at the I am statements that Christ makes in the Gospel of John, and we're getting close to the end of those statements. But here in John chapter 15, where we're at today, we'll see Jesus make the statement, I am the true vine. So if you would, take your Bibles and turn with me to John chapter 15. Not a long section that we'll be looking at today, although we're going to be looking at a portion of Scripture from Isaiah as well. But we're going to start here in John 15. We're going to look at verses 1 through 5. And here, Jesus, again, he says, I am the true vine. This is what it says, starting with verse 1, the words of Christ. He says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me... You can do nothing. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the privilege to be able to look at your word together now. And we pray that as we look at this portion of Scripture from John chapter 15 and some of the related passages, Lord, we pray that you'd prepare our minds and our hearts to receive these truths. We pray, Lord, that you'd encourage us in our walk with you. We pray, Lord, that we would understand the nature of what you're communicating in this passage as you refer to yourself as the true vine. And we're just grateful to be able to have the privilege to come together today, Lord, and to worship you and to study your word together and sing out our praise to you and pray to you and and serve together, Lord. We're just grateful for the privilege to be able to do these things. But now we pray, Lord, that you'd help us to put all the type of things that tend to flood our minds, just put those things aside and focus on the teaching that you gave to your disciples in this portion of Scripture. We pray that you'd speak these truths directly to our hearts right now, and we thank you for all these things. In Jesus' name, amen. So, um, you know, it's interesting with as, as cold as it's been, it's been over the past few days that today, and I, I, I guess I, I saw on the weather forecast it's supposed to be a little bit warmer for a few days here. I saw 50s, okay? So when I see 50s, immediately I think of spring. And it's interesting because, you know, just as quickly as cold weather came, all of a sudden it's like, you know, uh, the weather's changed its mind a little bit. And admittedly, I'm somebody that likes a little bit warmer weather. I know some of you like colder weather. Maybe some of you saw something that I had posted online uh, related to, to what I was trying to do behind my house just a little bit ago. Uh, but I'm one of those weird people who finds a sense of of uh, delight in taking care of my lawn. And my neighbors kind of laugh at me when I do it because they could tell that I'm one of those weird people that's actually out there happy to be mowing it and happy to be raking it and happy to be doing things like that. For whatever reason, it, I find it restful. Uh, and I, I find it kind of rejuvenating. And I'll put a podcast on, I'll listen to it, and I'll take care of the lawn. And sometimes even after I'm done, I like to just kind of stay out there a little bit longer. It's just something I enjoy. Now, admittedly, when you're taking care of a lawn, it takes some work to maintain it. And it doesn't always look as nice as I would like it to. 
but at the same time, I try to keep up with it. And I had something interesting that I'm sure most of you that have lawns could identify with, but over the course of the past two years, uh, crabgrass just seemed to overtake my back lawn. And I don't know how it took hold, because I thought I was taking good care of it back there, but crabgrass took took hold in one spot, and then it just started to spread like, like, like crazy all throughout half of the lawn. And I watched this lawn that I had been taking care of just become overcome with this. And I thought, well, this is extremely disappointing. And everything I tried to get rid of that crabgrass wasn't working. Everything that people recommended. And so I looked online to see if I could find some additional counsel, some additional advice, and I found a recommendation for a spray that I should use. And I said, all right, well, I'll give this a try. And I tried it, and it actually worked. It killed the crabgrass, but then I had a whole bunch of dead crabgrass laying on top of everything else and clumped up, so I had to go through and rake that up, or in some cases, rip it all up. And it was a lot of work, and it was a lot of effort. Uh, but then I had a whole bunch of bear patches. And I thought, all right, well, what am I going to put in here? I've been using a certain seed mix. You see how passionate, you know, I, I feel about all this, right? But I thought, no, let me get better seed than I got last time. So I ordered a special seed from a company down in Florida. And I had to wait for them to ship it. And I was like, you saw the kids' faces as they're excited about presents. That was me waiting for the mail when this big 50-pound bag of perennial ryegrass was going to show up at my house from a farm in Florida. I couldn't wait. Is it here yet? Is it here yet? I think I saw a truck go by. Is that FedEx? Did FedEx stop by? You know, it finally came. And I spread the seed around in the backyard. I made sure to water it. And I kept checking on it. And I made sure to keep... Uh, everybody from walking on it was like, you can't walk on it until it germinates. You can't walk on it until it germinates. And, uh, and I'm, I'm watching it, and I'm looking for it, and I'm not seeing anything for a little bit. And I started to think, all right, this seed that I paid a little extra for, that I ordered from a farm in Florida that I was assured would be the best grass seed that I had ever purchased, is not germinating. But then all of a sudden, it did germinate, and it took over, and by the, the, the end of the fall, the lawn looked fantastic again, and then we get frost, and we're kind of, you know, uh, just waiting for next year. But when I was doing that, I actually, it's funny, when you're, t- when you're into stuff like that, and maybe some of you have house plants that you feel a little bit of a personal connection to as you've taken care of them through the years, and you've helped them grow, and, and, or maybe, you know, shrubberies around your house that you've kind of shaped and taken, taken care of, you end up having an emotional response to these things or an emotional connection to these things again if you're weird like me some of you are like i do not have an emotional connection to a plant i promise you i'm not lying all right well sometimes i do so this is a place it's safe to confess these things but i'm confessing it because when you look at the scripture we just read together i'm convinced that the lord understands the emotions and the motivations that went into my efforts to grow grass or your efforts to care for a house plant or, or to care for a shrub or something along those lines. Because historically, it, it's a great example of the kind of investment he has historically made in people. Because what does he do? He nurtures us and he feeds us and he waters us and he plucks weeds from growing around us that might choke us. And as he does so, he tells us that he expects that we would flourish in our relationship with him. But unfortunately, that is not always the case. Even though provision has been made for us to flourish, we don't always flourish. And so then you get to the portion of Scripture that we just read together from John chapter 15, where Jesus says, I am 
the true vine. And what Christ is communicating when we look at these, these verses here, and again, it's a short section, but he's communicating that, that we need to remain connected to him for the nourishment that we need in order to experience a life that flourishes. And when you look at some of the things that Jesus states here in this passage, one of the things that he makes abundantly clear when you look at the first two verses in particular is that he offers us a fruitful relationship with him. Let me reread those two verses. He says this, and again, he's making this analogy here. He says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. So when you look at this portion of scriptures, Jesus was at, at this point here where he's, he's preparing for his impending execution on the cross. You have Jesus taking some time to intentionally teach his disciples some very critical things about the nature of what it means to have a genuine relationship with him. This seems to be an emphasis that he's emphasizing right up to his time of execution on the cross. And as he did so in other conversations, you have Jesus using analogies or using illustrations to try and help his followers understand what he meant. And I believe that he also uses things like this because these word pictures that he's using get stuck in our head. You can picture something like this because you have the deeper level concept, but you also have a visual type of thing that you can, you can actually see in your mind. You could see based on things that you've experienced. And so you have Jesus in this passage referring to himself as the true vine. He says, I am the true vine. Now in that area, vineyards were very common. And so Christ's disciples could look around and they could picture these, or they could see these things, but they could also envision these things in their mind because they were very familiar with seeing vineyards in the region that they were used to. And Jesus also describes in this passage of Scripture, as God, God the Father, he describes as the vine dresser, or the one who would intentionally care for the branches in order for them to develop plentiful and good fruit. These are the concepts he's conveying here. And Jesus was using this analogy to help his disciples understand the importance of having a fruitful relationship with him. That's what he's trying to convey. And I think that concept should get our attention as well when we look at a portion of Scripture like this. It's not just something for its initial hearers. It's something that we're to internalize as well. And Jesus, as he's describing the nature of what is taking place here, he tells us that unfruitful branches would be taken away that unfruitful branches will be taken away. Now, when you think about the people that would initially be hearing this, it's kind of interesting when you think about the fact that Judas would have been in that context because I think Judas provides a great example of what Jesus is referring here, or referring to here. Judas, in this concept, or in that context, he, he appears to be a faithful follower of Jesus Christ. I find it very interesting to think about what life would have been like at that time. And if you look around at all these people that were observing Jesus' ministry, and you see the disciples, if people uh, asked about Judas, they would have said, yes, he's a follower of Christ. He's a devoted follower of Christ. At least that's what he appeared to be. He follows Jesus everywhere. He's with him everywhere. He's, he's part of his inner circle. He's part of his team. Judas is, is one of his closest friends. That's what people would have seen if they were observing Judas. He appeared to be a devoted follower of Christ, yet eventually it became abundantly clear that his heart was quite distant to Christ and that he was quite hostile to Christ. And in time, Judas was taken away. 
that became obvious. He was taken away. He was removed because he wasn't bearing spiritual fruit. And if you see uh, early in the book of Acts, one of the first things that you have the, the disciples doing after the time of Judas's death is deciding on his replacement. Judas was taken away. But Jesus also teaches us here that the Father will prune fruitful branches in order to make them even more fruitful. And I want our eyes to focus on this, right? Look at what Jesus is saying here. He's saying in verse 2, he says, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. So you have Jesus teaching that the Father is going to prune fruitful branches in order to make them even more fruitful. Now, at first glance, I imagine that that statement would sound fine and would sound logical. But have you ever experienced the Lord's work to do uh, you know, an, an act of pruning in your life? Have you ever experienced the Lord doing that in your story, in your context, where He's actively pruning your life? Now, admittedly, while the end result is wonderful, the process produces pain. The process produces discomfort. It may be short-term pain, it may be short-term discomfort, but it's going to, it's real. You know, it's, it's not something that feels trivial in the moment. It probably doesn't even feel short in the moment. Uh, you know, sometimes when I look back over the, co- the course of my life, some of my most uh, profound moments of pain may not have lasted a long time, but they stick out in my mind. And that pruning process that the Lord can bring us through can at times be rather painful. So think about how the Lord might prune your life. There's a variety of things he might do. Uh, in his pruning, he might remove certain people from your life. You ever experienced the Lord do that? Where he, he removed certain people from your life. People that you thought would be there, and now they are not there. Sometimes I'm, I'm amazed at the people that I thought would be part of my life at this stage that haven't been part of my life for years. But yet years ago, if, if you asked me, do you think this is somebody that would be either a lifelong friend or somebody that would always just kind of be part of your Yeah, absolutely. And then you watch, sometimes the Lord prunes certain people from your life, and you're like, Lord, why did you do that? Why, why is that part of your will? Why is that your choice? That's a very painful thing at times. And I'm sure you've probably experienced that pain. How about when the Lord decides to prune your life in regard to your career by completely altering it? And all of a sudden you find yourself in a brand new position or a brand new role or a brand new job or something opens up that it just becomes ridiculously obvious that you need to walk through that door. But yet you're feeling the attachment of what was familiar. And you're thinking, Lord, this is painful. And then you have the Lord urging you to do so. How about when the Lord changes your location? Do you ever have that take place? where you thought you were going to be one place in particular, and then through the circumstances that the Lord orchestrates, you find yourself someplace you had no expectation that you would ever be. Sometimes he takes away things that we have developed an unhealthy reliance on. You know, There are times in my life I could think back to moments where the Lord took some things away that, you know, at least to a degree, I, I was taking some degree of comfort in. And then he said, no, that's not, really the, that's not really good for you long term, or that's not even good for you in the moment. I'm taking this 
away. You have developed an unhealthy reliance on this or that. I'm taking it away. I'm pruning your life so that you could be more and more fruitful. That's why the Lord does that, right? He prunes our lives to make us more fruitful. He is invested in our growth. He wants us to have an abundantly fruitful relationship with Him. Now, this passage that we just read from John chapter 15, we'll come back to this in just a moment. It's not the only place where the Lord uses this kind of talk or this description or this kind of analogy, uh, this, this, uh, this picture of Him nurturing His people, this picture of Him pruning His people, this picture of, of uh, you know, the Lord taking care of a vineyard. It's actually a really good example of this in the book of Isaiah, and I'll even bring it up on the screen behind me, but I want you to have this in the back of your mind even before I bring the Scripture up behind me that you're going to see that the Lord invests in our life and in our fruitfulness in every way possible. That's what Jesus is doing for you and I right now. You can see that this is the Lord's pattern throughout history. Let me read to us from Isaiah chapter 5. In Isaiah 5, verses 1 and 2, and by the way, if you get a chance, read through more of Isaiah 5. It gives even a deeper picture, but I'll just give you a sample of this from the first two verses. But in Isaiah 5, verses 1 and 2, it says this, Let me sing for my beloved my song, or my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and hewed out a wine vat in it. And he looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. I'm going to pause there for just a moment. Um, How many of you have been to, just by show of hands, how many of you have been to the Pocono Mountain Bible Conference at least once? So quite a few of you. Uh, For five years, I had the privilege to direct the Pocono Mountain Bible Conference, a retreat center, summer camp. Our church supports PMBC. And uh, that ministry has had a meaningful impact in my life and in my walk with Christ. And uh, I remember when I was directing the camp, I kind of became a, uh, a, a, like a, uh, someone that people would deposit a lot of stories in. You know, they would tell me a lot of their experiences that they had had at PMBC through the years. And one of the, the I can't even remember who told me this initially, it might have been another pastor, but he told me that years ago, so when you're on the property, There are rows of cabins and a dining hall that surround a courtyard. And the courtyard is a level piece of land right there at the forefront of the property right when you drive in. And for a long time, uh, you know, I was talking earlier about the process of trying to grow grass. For the longest time, they could not grow grass in that courtyard. Everything they tried failed. But now finally, grass actually grows there. And this is what they did. For a while, my understanding is that they would have people line up on the end of the courtyard, and they would typically do this when pastors would come up and would be there for training because they host training for pastors in August. So in August, they would have the pastors line up along one of the sidewalks at the end of the courtyard, and and you would just walk in a straight line from where you were to the end. And every time you came across a stone, you'd pick it up or dig it out. You'd pick it up and dig it out. You just go, they kept doing that because the soil's really rocky there. And you'd walk down the length, then you'd kind of move a little bit, and then you'd walk back, and you'd do it this way, and then you'd walk back. And I guess they had to do that, I don't know how many times, because in the winter, when the ground freezes, it seems like it works extra stones up to the surface, and, and, and so eventually over time, now it's not quite as visibly rocky as it once was in the past. They're digging all these stones out, picking them all up. And I think that's fascinating because when you look at Isaiah chapter 5, which I just read, in that portion of Scripture, we're told of someone who clears a fertile hill of stones. 
takes these stones out of a fertile hill. Right? It's telling us about this person who clears this, this, this fertile hill of stones. We're also told that this person being described here, we're told that he planted choice vines on that hill. And he built a watchtower to guard it. And he hewed out a wine vat with the expectation that this carefully cultivated vineyard is going to produce some delicious grapes, that that's going to be the produce that comes from this land. But the vineyard, we're told, it yields wild and sour fruit instead. Contrary to expectation, it produced essentially useless and disappointing, you know, uh, uh, you know, the type of fruit that you just wouldn't consume. Even though so much had been invested in it, so much time and thought and effort and, and all sorts of investments. Most Bible commentators believe that Jesus is referring to Isaiah 5 when he draws the analogies that we just read in John chapter 15 that he's drawing from these word pictures to show a little bit more about what was going on in that portion of Scripture. In Isaiah's passage, you have Isaiah uh, prophetically speaking of the Lord's work to cultivate the people of Israel and Judah. He established them. He blessed them. He protected them. He provided for them. But unfortunately, they rejected him. They ignored his word. And they coveted the false assurances that come with idolatry. And that's something that you see as a pattern when you read throughout the Old Testament. You see Israel and Judah doing that repeatedly, even though the Lord had made immense investments in their walk and immense investments in their growth. And ironically, the same issues are present right now for us as believers in Jesus Christ. Those of us who call ourselves Christians are dealing with the same things that our foreparents, the people of Israel and Judah, our spiritual heritage, the same things they were dealing with are the same things you and I are dealing with right now. Because when you think about your life, when I think about my life, the truth is Jesus is invested in our fruitfulness in every way possible. He's made all sorts of investments in my life to, to enable me to be fruitful in Him. All sorts of investments in your life. All sorts of investments in the lives of every single person who calls himself a Christian. He's made all sorts of investments in our lives. When He ascended to heaven, Scripture tells us that He sent the Holy Spirit to indwell us. That's a benefit that you and I have that believers during the Old Covenant era did not enjoy. Only certain people during that era enjoyed that. But here under the New Covenant, you and I enjoy the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus, in fact, said, remember when He said, it's to your benefit that I go. Because when I go, who's coming? The Holy Spirit is coming. He will come and He will indwell all those who have faith in Christ. We have the Scriptures. And we, you know, here we are, you know, not only do we have the Old Testament Scriptures, but we have the New Testament Scriptures, and we live in an era where they're readily available to us in all sorts of formats and, and all sorts of manners. And, you know, we're, we live in a culture that values reading, and so we're, we're all taught to read. And even if you can't read, you could access these things via recording, and someone else will read it for you. And so we have all sorts of access like that. We have the Lord empowering us. He actively empowers those who call on His name. We have the Lord actively protecting us in all kinds of ways that we probably don't even realize what He's doing half the time. And yet we struggle the same way the people of Israel and Judah did. And I'll give you proof that what I'm saying is true. We claim to believe the truth of God's Word, but we don't even read it. We claim and we'll say to our dying breath that it's true, that it's absolutely true. 
that our hope is anchored in it and we don't even read it. The vast minority of Christians ever pick up a Bible to read it during any given week. Which makes me think that it probably isn't as important to us as we say it is. Because if it was as important to us as we say it is, we, would, we wouldn't have to be told to read it. We, we wouldn't have to be told to access it and internalize its content. I think we also wrestle, all of us collectively, I think we wrestle with coveting the false promises of cultural idols. And I think many of us form our opinions based on the influence of celebrity culture. So if our opinions are being formed based on the opinions of celebrities and cultural idolatry, and we're not accessing the Word of God, but preferring to ignore it while it, you know, verbally we're saying, oh yeah, it's great. Are we any different than our spiritual foreparents from Israel and Judah? Or are we doing the same exact thing and maybe making the same exact mistakes just in a different era? And is this not the type of thing that Jesus is trying to draw out of us when he, when he talks about these things in John chapter 15? You know, I'm not saying any of that to make us feel beat up. I don't think that that's usually edifying to make somebody feel too beat up. But I do think it's edifying to be truthful about what really goes on in our hearts and in our motivations so that we can analyze our lives, particularly at a time of year like this where you're winding up one year and you're about to start another. And it's like, all right, Lord, you know how I am. You know how sometimes it's like I'm on fire for you. And then other times it's like I veered off course, but I didn't even realize I was veering off course until I got so far off in a diagonal direction that all of a sudden it's like, how did I get here? It's like, well, how did I get here? Oh, I see what happened. I valued cultural priorities, the opinions of celebrity culture, ignorance of your word, and tried to do things my own way, and yet I'm just like the people of, of Israel and Judah doing those same exact things. And yet Christ challenges us in his word to get right back to the fact where we're, where we're utilizing the investments that he's made in our lives so that we're fruitful in our union with him and not producing sour and wild grapes after all that cultivation has gone into our lives. That's the challenge he's trying to give us here. And he, he kind of steps it up a little bit further here. And I hope these are things that kind of stick in our mind as we wind down one year and start up another, because I think it's a, a fantastic time to evaluate this specific message. Because you have Jesus in John 15, verses 3 and 4, encouraging us to abide in him. Well, what does he mean when he says to abide in him? Look at what he says here. He says, already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Now, almost every time I have read this portion of Scripture, it's forced me to pause for a few moments to reflect on what exactly did Jesus mean when he said abide? Right When he says to abide in him, what does that mean to abide in him? Do you wonder that sort of thing too, like when you hear that? It's not really a phrase that I use a lot. It's not really a phrase that I hear many people use. So when I read him saying these things here, almost every time I come across this passage, I find myself rethinking this concept and thinking, okay, what does it mean to abide in him? What did Jesus mean by that statement? Well, we talk about abiding in Christ 
we're talking about remaining connected to him. Again, rem- remember the context of this passage. He's talking about branches being connected to a vine here, right? So when we're talking about abiding in Christ, we're talking about remaining connected to him. So to abide in Christ, it means living in a close relationship with him instead of walking away from him. A branch is not going to grow if it's not connected to the vine. A branch, you know, for it to be nourished, needs to be connected to the vine. So likewise, we're not going to grow in our walk with Christ if we're trying to to live separate from Him or trying to live disconnected from Him. But let me let me break this down into actually what I think this looks like on a day-to-day basis. And I hope that there'll be something here that you find useful as you're trying to wrestle with this concept as well, about what it means for us as Christians in this era in which we live to abide in Christ. What does a healthy relationship with Christ look like? What does it mean to abide in Him? What does it entail? Let me show you five characteristics that I think are true for those that are abiding in Christ. There might even be a few things that we could add to this. Is that readable from where you are? Some are saying yes. Some are, I'm looking at the people in the back row. Can you read it? All right. I, first off, I think if we're abiding in Christ, I think that means that Jesus is going to remain at the forefront of our mind, and He's not an afterthought. You know, if you're abiding in Christ, if you're remaining connected to Christ, Christ is going to be on the forefront of your mind when you're interacting with people or interacting with your day-to-day life. He's not going to be an afterthought that as you're kind of recapping your day, you're thinking, oh, Christ. He's going to be on the forefront of the mind of someone who's abiding in Him. Secondly, I think if someone's abiding in Christ, their faith in Christ continues to grow and mature as they learn to trust Him more. If you're abiding in Christ, what happens is over time as your faith gets tested through your experiences, through the things that the Lord allows to come into your life, your trust in Him grows. I remember saying just a few weeks ago that I can tell that my trust in Him has grown more than it did a decade ago and a decade before that. And so my hope as I look forward to the future is that my trust in the Lord will be even stronger 10 years from now than it is right now. And I suspect it will be because there's going to be a whole set of experiences that are going to happen between now and then that will force me to either reject Him or trust Him. And I believe I'll, I'll that, that by His grace, He will empower me to trust Him more and more. That's what it means to abide in Him. Something else, if we're abiding in Christ, we practice habits and make decisions that are the fruit of His influence and our love for Him. So if I'm making decisions that are... are you know, the decisions I make are going to be the fruit of whatever is influencing me. So if celebrity culture is my dominant influence, then I'm going to make decisions that are in line with that. If worldly values or, or my own sin nature is my, my primary influence, that's going to be where I'm starting to make decisions from. But if Christ is on the forefront of my mind, the decisions that I make are going to evidence the fact that I love Him and He's influencing my thinking. That's part of abiding in Christ. A fourth thing is this. If we're abiding in Christ, we joyfully invest in our ongoing growth through things like prayer, fellowship, service, and the reading of Scripture. If we're abiding in Him, we'll actively and joyfully invest in our growth in Christ. And a fifth thing, I believe that if we're abiding in Christ, we will exhibit the fruit of the Spirit according to the things that are taught in Galatians chapter 5. And if you ever want to read something that can be a little bit confrontational on one side and then very edifying on the other side in the sense that it shows us what Christ can make possible in our lives, Galatians 5 is a great chapter to show the dichotomy between who we once were and who Christ is making us to be. And in Galatians 5, it shows us that there's fruit that the Holy Spirit brings forth from the lives of those who abide in Christ. He makes us abundantly 
fruitful. But there's one other thing that Jesus shows us in John 15, and this is where I want to finish today. Jesus empowers us to do what will have lasting value. Let me reread verse 5, and then we'll, we'll finish up with a few additional comments on that verse. But in John 15, 5, Jesus said, I am the vine. You are the branches. By the way, even before I finish reading this, how many times do we get ourselves in trouble by trying to pretend that we're the vine? <laughs> right? That we're self-sufficient. You know, I think it's helpful for me to read this like, hey, John, you're not the vine. You're not the vine. Try, stop trying to find the source of, of strength in yourself. Like, it doesn't come from you. You are not the vine. Christ is the vine. What does he say? I am the vine. You are the branches. I am the vine. You are the branches. And then he says, whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. When I was in high school, I wrote down a list of everything I wanted to accomplish in life. Do you ever write something down like that? That can be a weird thing to write down. Um, but I remember I was actually encouraged by a teacher to write it down. So I wrote down everything I wanted to accomplish in life, every detail that I could think of. And that list was refined a little bit when I was in college, but the major things on that list remained unchanged. And not long ago it occurred to me that all the major things that I had on that list are now past or present tense. They've all happened. The things that I had on that initial list, they've all happened at this point. I'm 43 years old. That list that I thought up in high school, it's, so I guess I just die now, right? Like, I, it's like, what, what, what happens at that point? Do I just say, like, all right, good, list is done. All right. Um, but honestly, I was thinking about that, and I thought, all right, that list is done. So either, either I didn't make a long enough list, or I need to look at this and say, all right, I guess I'm at the point where I need to make a new list. And I noticed something interesting. Well, first of all, it, that, it, made me real, it made me grateful as I was thinking about that for the things that I saw the Lord facilitate in my life over the decades. I thought, all right, I'm really grateful that the Lord facilitated those things, and it makes me wonder if the things that I put on that list were things that I put there because he was shaping the desires of my heart, where he was saying, like, this is my will for you, and I'm going to shape, because at the time I was writing this, this is a season in my life where I was growing you know, exponentially in my faith in Christ, you know, right around that time. And I think he was probably shaping those desires. I'm certain of it. And so I could see his hand facilitating these things, but I'm also wondering, again, if it's, if it's time to write a new list because that list is complete at this point. And I'm also noticing a change in my perspective, and this is the change I'm noticing in my perspective. Many of those initial goals that were on that list had to do with myself or my ambitions. That was kind of the metric I was using for writing that list. It had to do with myself, or it had to do with my ambitions, and now I, I've been thinking a lot differently about certain things, and obviously I did during that season of life. And I've been thinking more and more and more about the legacy I'll leave behind, and if what I've invested in during the course of my life will actually bear fruit after I'm gone. I'm starting to think a little bit more, you know, with like a long-term perspective with that. And I guess that just comes with life and, you know, getting a little bit older and getting a little bit older. And then I read a verse like this in John 15, 5. 
Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And you know what that verse also reminds me of in this context? You ever hear the phrase? It's a uh, phrase I've heard many times. I, it's, I know it's been around a long time. But it says, all that's done for self will pass. Only what's done for Christ will last. Do you recall hearing that? I don't know who originated that. All that's done for self will pass. Only what's done for Christ will last. And I think Jesus is demonstrating the validity of that with what he's saying here in John 15, 5. If we abide in him, the true vine, we will bear much fruit. It will be quality fruit. It will be meaningful fruit. It will be lasting fruit. But apart from him, we can do nothing at all and certainly nothing of lasting value. And as Jesus spoke of himself in this passage by saying, I am the true vine, he was trying to help us understand the value of being connected to him by faith. A deep and growing relationship with him will result in peace in circumstances, hope in trials, strength during seasons of adversity, and a joy that cannot be taken away from you. That produces lasting fruit. So very lastly this morning, I just want to say this, or maybe ask this. Presently, right now, where are you trying to derive your power and your peace? Where have you been and where are you trying to derive your power and your peace? For the true Christian, according to what Christ says in this portion of Scripture, the answer is, can only be Jesus Christ, the true vine. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the privilege that you have given us to be able to look at your word together today. And we're grateful, Lord, for the fact that you show us very definitive things in a portion of Scripture like this. Even though you're using word pictures and you're using analogies, you're sharing very impactful and sometimes hard truths to receive, but at the same time, Lord, we know that it's fruitful for us to receive this as truth. It's fruitful for us to look at these, these statements that you're making here and these word pictures that you're painting for us and recognize that this is something that you want to stick in our mind. You want us to be thinking about this vineyard you want us to be thinking about this vine that has branches. You want us to, to see that image in our mind of being a branch connected to a vine, but if we're, if we're trying to derive our, our peace or our power through something else, we're not going to find it. It's only through our connection to you, the vine, that we end up finding the peace and the power that we seek. Lord, we recognize, and I certainly recognize this in myself, that so many of the decisions that I've made in my life have come out of the fact of of trying to rely on my own strength or my own wisdom or something that I think finds its source in me. And then I look at a portion of Scripture like this and you say that apart from you, I can do nothing. Apart from you, we can do nothing. We can't do anything apart from the strength and the peace that you supply. We can't create anything of lasting value apart from what you empower us to do. So, Lord, we pray that that would be the type of perspective that we would welcome. We pray that that would be the type of perspective that we would embrace and remember 
Because, Lord, sometimes I think so much of our anxiety in life is really the fruit of us coming down to the fact that we've been trying to over-rely on ourselves or over-rely on something that isn't you. So, Lord, we pray that you would take our fears and our anxieties from us, help us to be content and restful in you, help us to be reminded from this portion of your word that peace is only found through you, And Lord, thank you for the fact that you care for us and you cultivate us and you nourish us and you water us and you tend to us and and you you just you protect us and watch over us in ways that we don't even realize you're doing that. And so, Lord, we're grateful for this this immense investment that you've made in us up to this point, but this immense investment that you're making in our lives even going forward. Lord, this is a wonderful gift that you've granted us. And we know, Lord, that we could live our lives in such a way that we express thankfulness for that gift by abiding in you. Or we can go the world's way and say, I can handle this. I'm not thankful for what you've done, and I don't even care about your presence in my life. And Lord, that's uh, the type of thought or the type of comment that makes me uneasy to even imagine that that our hearts could be that dark that we would want to go in a direction like that. But we see that in Judas's life. He listened to your words day in and day out and still was able to find it within himself to just go his own way and completely reject you and betray you. And we're no less human than Judas was. And so, Lord, because this is a propensity that we have, we pray that you would keep us strong, that you'd keep us on the path that you want us on, that we would trust in you regardless of our circumstances, and that we would rely on you completely to be our wisdom and our strength. Help us, Lord, to make these daily investments in our lives through the resources you've already provided to us in prayer and fellowship and service in just the simple act of reading your word. Lord, we pray that you'd pour those truths into our minds and into our hearts as we finish up one year and as we prepare for the next. And we pray, Lord, that our daily trust in you would grow more and more and more as you're tested and shown to be true through the experiences that we have on a daily basis. So again, Lord, we're grateful for these reminders, and we're grateful for the timeliness of these reminders as well. We love you, Lord. We thank you for all of these things, and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.